You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, welcome to another podcast episode, episode 52. You're probably wondering why I'm wearing my headset today. I don't think it's going to make a lot of difference, but suffice to say my neighbours moved out recently. Two very nice neighbours, very quiet and without kids. Sadly, the people who have moved in have yet to say hello to me and have two kids and apparently they're very, very noisy. So it does mean I'm having to sort of really dodge when I can do recordings for videos, but I'm also wearing these now because I'm trying to drain out the noise, which I hope won't get picked up by this microphone, and it's just purely for my own sanity. Yeah, you, I am definitely a pets person, put it that way. You know, I've always said, is like if, if I can ever meet Miss Wright, you know, I want to meet Miss Wright, who's like a geeky girl, like, doesn't have to be into board games, because there's something geeky that they like, and preferably don't want kids, which means that they can be crazy cat lady for all I care. In fact, I would actually like it if they were crazy cat lady, because then we'd have lots of cats, and cats are lovely and cute and fluffy. So I'd be totally down with that. Or even if she had two dogs, like I say, just pets. So she hasn't got a pet tarantula, I'd be pretty much happy with that, really. But yeah, so <laughs> you know, hopefully it won't get picked up on the microphone, but we'll just have to, uh, shall we say, roll with it. On top of that, I'm having to record this with a bit of a headache, so hopefully we'll get through this episode in one piece with my sanity still intact. But, uh, you know, who'd be a blogger, right? So, how's things been? Well, generally not too bad. I mean, we're getting into the summer now, and views are a little bit on the low side when it comes to a lot of videos. It takes a long time for them to get up to speed, but then most people are off on holiday. They're doing stuff in the sun, and so you got to expect these kind of things with, uh, like, the summertime. Uh, but there's, you know, generally been all right. I've certainly been getting on with a lot of pretty big size reviews. I mean, the, you know, Merchants of the Dark Robe was a big review. Perseverance, blimey, that took me a long time. I mean, I'll, for the viewership, I almost wish I hadn't done the video in a sense. It's just, it was such a mission to get through that game. Both episodes, give it the beans and do a mega review on it. But uh, it's there if you wanted to know about the latest Mind Clash one. Fair to that, the top 10 games of five players has been fun. And recently I did a collaboration with Ninja Geek Games for top 10 six player games, which hasn't been as popular as I hoped it would be. But, you know, it'd be nice to get more onto there. But there's a lot of content coming up soon, guys. I mean, I literally have on the on the rent that I've rendered already. I've got the Sniper Elite review. I've got the Gutenberg review. I've got the Viticulture World review, and I'm almost, I'm halfway to editing the Beyond the Base game Outer Rim Unfinished Business review. So, you know, there's like four videos en route for that alone. You've got this podcast. I've got a live stream with solo playthroughs on Tuesday evening GMT, seven o'clock, uh, where we're going to talk about top 10 games we've called on. So that's another collaboration top 10. And I've also got an idea for, well, I say I've got an idea. I was inspired. I think that's a bit more accurate by a viewer who basically said, um, you know, if you're looking for like other content, like other ones to do or something, have you considered that? Well, it was basically a case that they don't tend to watch reviews, like reviews for single games, which I can understand. I mean, that's kind of a thing. But they suggested the idea of that. The best way to put it is if you like X style reviews, because there's not a lot of them out there. You know, Dice Tower did it very briefly, but they were like very short and years ago. But, and, you know, times have changed. But not a lot of people do like, if you like, say, Ticket to Ride, you're like this. And the video would basically say, well, this is what Ticket to Ride is and my thoughts on it. And then it would dissect the game into several different categories, both theme and mechanics. And it would essentially very quickly suggest other titles. It's not going to be fancy. It would just be me in front of the camera in the study you know my nice setup probably very few video clips if any you know be it, it, they generally try to be quick videos say I, I hate to say low times because i always exceed them but we'll say no more than 10 minutes max you know these would be shortish videos and i thought you know what maybe that's something i can look into because uh, my channel well one thing i mean this will link onto something i'll chat more in detail in a minute but this is definitely a more consumer focused channel so i certainly would like to put out more content that is consumer focused and i feel that such a thing probably would be 
consumer focused you know to say like right did you like playing cluedo as a kid well here's a bucket load of stuff that you can play that's similar to cluedo see what you feel you know light medium and heavy games in fact i reckon that could be quite cool i could get those out reasonably quickly i think they'd be useful there's plenty of options as to if you like this do this or whatever and i think they're they're important enough that they wouldn't just simply be a podcast segment so i'm thinking about that one that could be an interesting experiment to try and probably more successful than the live review thing I was doing, which, yes, has been panned, <laughs> not panned, canned. That's it. Yeah, it's like, you know, there was some decent feedback for it or mixed feedback, but I was like, yeah, this ain't working for me. It's just not working. So the live reviews had to stop. But, yeah, we'll see how things go with that. In terms of what I'm talking about, like focus on at the moment, I need to make a big push for the uh, Patreon that I have because there... It seems the board game industry is going very corporate at the moment. And by corporate, I mean that it's very, the publishers are definitely looking more at the pound sign, like the bottom line, than they are, I think, consumer, uh, like consumer focus and that. It's just the impression I'm getting because I'm having trouble with like, like some publishers are recently unfollowed me for reasons I don't even know. I mean, the most recent one I had was a, uh, I know Stonemaier unfollowed me a little while back, but then haven't said anything good about three or four of their latest games. So that's kind of a thing. Uh, but then Leather Games, Leader Games, the ones who do Root, they unfollowed me on Twitter recently. And I know I probably shouldn't really care because Twitter is Twitter. I don't really care about that. But I, you know, I, it, it's just weird because I mean, I would like to know what what's the deal? I mean, why? You know, why was it done? But obviously no reason. I'm obviously not going to go back to them and say, oi, why do you do it? Because that's not exactly ethical. But it's just like, well, why? I, I've I've literally, I've taught the praises of Fort. Yes, I'm not a big fan of Root, but I've not really spoken about it at all. I even did two playthroughs of the app and said the app was really good. I've done nothing on Twitter apart from talk about Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth, which is on the table uh, underneath this laptop and that. So yeah, this kind of thing kind of the blue but the thing is publishers are starting to do this now and not just to me but to small creators in general and so i need to make a big push to people to say look hashtag support small creators get behind the smaller creators they're the ones who are going to talk to you probably without bias because they're not getting review copies of games all the time they're just talking about something they're passionate about they're not forced to they're not i'm not i don't want to say the word paid but they're not like uh, pressured to do certain things because of the relationships they have with the with the big publishers and that you know i there's loads of really great channels out there that are done by just person around the street who likes to talk about games most a lot of them i've had on my show and there's going to be more in the future i mean i i mentioned solo playthroughs uh tuesday uh all aboard gamer we're going to do something in mid-July. Uh, forget, I don't think we've settled on a list yet. To my no oh, I think they might have wanted to do top 10 heavy games. That might be what we're doing with them. So that should be quite cool. I, I don't know, I might be wrong on the topic, but we're definitely doing all aboard gamer. And um, another little podcast, uh, who, which includes actually an old school friend of mine, um, uh, Becky, who as I went to school with, but so long ago, I can barely remember back then. But it's like, ah, oh, cool beans. Uh, they do a little uh, local podcast called Whose Turn Is Anyway? And yeah, good name, actually. But they you know, they had uh, Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules on recently for a good uh, podcast topic. And so they, you know, we've chatted informally about like, oh, you know, do you want to do something? Let's do something. Either a top 10 on my channel or we'll do something on your podcast either way. And we haven't settled on anything yet, but it's definitely something I think hopefully both parties are keen on and we'll try and do something with that but all i'm saying is definitely get behind some smaller creators and show them some love because as i say a lot of the publishers can't or won't and the i would certainly say i need i need to boost the patreon drive a little bit more so i do have a patreon uh, that you know that i do use but the and the patreons work great i mean i i owe my patreons so much at the moment because they are the reason this channel keeps going because i get some review copies of games and i'm now getting into the habit of saying on every single video i get a review copy for a thank you to the person who gives me it not to mention for disclosure purposes because obviously some people want to know a lot of the stuff i get though isn't a review copy it's paid for out of effectively patreon funds or my own cash and if i didn't have a patreon this channel wouldn't function because it's it just about, or barely, covers its overheads for a year. And 
you know, so other stuff has to come out of your pocket. I mean, I've just recently bought um, a C stand, uh, which is the thing that Slicker Drips uses to do overhead playthroughs. Yeah, spoiler alert, I'm looking into the idea of doing playthrough videos in the future. And I thought, well, Slicker Drips does a pretty good setup. So I thought I'd ask uh, Tom Heath, you know, to advise me on what sort of equipment he uses. And that C stand is the one that, that he does. So I now need to find a good camcorder to put on the thing. And that's where I'm a little bit held up at the moment, trying to find a cheap, well, and a cost-effective yet suitable 4K camcorder that can go on a C-stand, go above, do low light nice and easy, and do some playthroughs. Now, I'm not talking live stream yet. That will come a bit later. That's just the baby steps. Let's get the first bit done first, then worry about a live streaming format because you you need multiple cameras. You need all sorts of stuff for live streaming. I mean, just take a look at Slicker Drips and Gaming Rules for a kickoff, you know, and and so you need all that equipment, and I just don't yet have that. But yeah, uh, I, I figured I'd give that one a shot. Uh, but where was I? What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, so with the Patreon side of things, they I, I can't thank my Patreons enough. Every single one of them, whether, it's, whether they're putting in $1, $2, $5, $10, possibly even more sometimes. I mean, I'd rather have, I'd rather have 1,000 people give me a dollar a month than 100 people give me $10 a month because, you know, money is tight at the moment. The world market has gone to pot, especially the UK market. And it's, you know, I don't want to ask people to put themselves in financial risk to support me. So, you know, a dollar is nothing. You know, dollars nothing. You know, you wouldn't even miss that. But obviously, ten might be a bit different. But the Patreon funds it goes to like paying for the Adobe subscription. It pays for the Motion Array subscription, which is where I get a lot of my overlays and uh, like intros and stuff like that, and like music files I use. It pays for like you know YouTube um, subscriptions, so I can post things up and not have to worry about them like bombarding me with ads all the time or something, which could get which used to get really annoying. It pays for review copies, it pays for equipment, so camera batteries I have to update every now and again, the tripods, the stand, this microphone, the laptop, everything you know had to be funded by the help of Patreons and my own cash. And even review copies now, because publishers are starting to shy away from anybody who's willing to talk, um, like I say a word honestly, people who are willing to talk negative about reviews as well as positive, they're shying away from, and that's happening with a few of mine now some publishers love the fact i do that but some don't and it's clear to see which ones don't and obviously they want to preserve their profit line which makes sense i mean you're a publisher you're a business i'm not holding it against them it's just that's the way that it is at the moment and so you have to effectively think well that means review copies are less which means i have to rely on my own money and Patreons in order to get some stuff out. Like I mentioned, what games did I mention there? Sniper Elite, Viticulture World, the Outer Rim Expansion, and uh, Gutenberg. Now, in the case of those four, I was quite fortunate. Kienda were very nice to support me with the Outer Rim Expansion. Uh, Portal were very nice to support me with the Gutenberg game. Uh, Viticulture World, I spent out of my own money, though, and Libertalia before that. So everything from Stonemaier, I've had to get myself. Uh, Perseverance, I paid for, you know, that big one. Merchants of the Dark Road, I paid for. Uh, what else was there? There was another one I'd got done this week. I uh, mentioned Gutenberg, Sniper Elite, uh, Viticulture, Sniper Elite. Sniper Elite, I paid for. That wasn't a review copy either. So a lot of these games, a lot of this content that I'm doing, particularly if it's the hotness games, I got to fend off. And so does so does every small creator to the most part. You know, some get some review copies, but some people don't get any. Because they could be so small that a publisher will literally just gloss by them. And so that's why I say you need to support these creators. And that's why I like to support those creators as well. I may not be able to like give them physical cash or like every single one, but you know, giving them shout outs, sharing their content, you know, supporting what they do, having them on the show to say, look, you know, we're gonna do a top 10 list. Uh, why don't you tell us about who you are? Go subscribe to them. You know, any every little bit helps to get you know some exposure to them. And so you know, if you can consider even just a dollar a month for the Patreon, it all goes a long way and I would certainly appreciate it. But, you know, if you can't, you can't. As long as you're watching the videos, I'm also happy, you know, sharing them, you know, share them out on social media, because, you know, get get them out, say like, you know, so-and-so's done a review, make it a discussion topic, you know, those sort of things work on Facebook groups and Twitter. 
So, but either way, I'm grateful to everybody who supports this show, whether you're a distributor, a publisher, uh, Joe blogs around the corner on the Patreon, or even just uh, somebody sitting on their chair, office chair right now, listening to the show as a podcast. I, or, you know, in the car seat, I'm totally like, I am so grateful to you lot. It's unreal because I don't know how it would survive otherwise. So, you know, this has taken up too much of my life to just have it suddenly crash and burn. So, uh, yeah, so hashtag support small creators is definitely something to think about. Right, uh, well, that was a bit of a long intro, right? Why don't we actually get on with something you actually want to hear about, like games? So let's start off with some basic news first. I haven't got to, basically the show, there is going to be a shelf review. So a game that I've uh, had on the shelf called Diamonds, I'm going to talk about later. Uh, I've got a discussion topic on rule books, but for now, let's just do a little bit of news. There isn't a what has... There isn't a what I've played segment today because I haven't really played anything that isn't already getting a review video at some point. Uh, although on the side, I have played some Tricarion. I played that with uh, some friends of mine on Friday. And as I mentioned underneath, I'm going through the Spreading War campaign for Lords of the Rings Journeys of Middle Earth. So that's been good fun. But why don't we get on to some news? So in slightly weird news, Bruno Kafala. Bruno Kafala, we love him as a game designer. He's designed some fantastic games. He is no word of a lie that I swear he's one of my favorite designers. But, and, well, and one of those games that he designed that I really love was Seven Wonders Duel. So Seven Wonders, I already love the game. Seven Wonders is great. Seven Wonders Duel takes Seven Wonders, makes it good for two players and changes up some of the rules, makes it a little bit more complex, but it's one of my favorite two-player, if not my favorite two-player-only game that is in existence. Well, now apparently he's teaming up with Marc Andre, who did Splendor. Splendor, as I keep singing the praises of, is just such a classic 30 minute four player engine builder game that just works so smoothly. Well, apparently they're teaming up to do Splendor Duel. Yeah, a two player implementation of Splendor. Now, on the one hand, Splendor is a great game. I'm down for something else that uses that Splendor mechanic. On the other hand, Two-player Splendor is already pretty good. In Seven Wonders' case, the Seven Wonders two-player variant I found to be atrocious, and a lot of people did as well. Here, though, two-player Splendor is just fine. It's a very simple engine builder game that's lightning fast. So what exactly are you changing? You've got to add in new mechanics here. And so if you're going to create something that's more complicated than Splendor, which I think is pretty much going to happen by default for how simple Splendor is, this one I'm a little bit in a little bit concerned by like did we need this re-implementation of a two-player version of splendor how much more complex is it going to be but that being said splendor is a good game and bruno kafala is a genius so uh, i'm not going to you know write it off just now i am i mean it says here retain some of the gameplay mechanisms while being a bit more complex dynamic interactive rich tense and mean i mean could blimey that's a lot of a uh, um, things. Although, features a main board shared by both opponents and card powers and free victory conditions. This is really going down the same road as Seven Wonders Duel, isn't it? And if that's the case, that could be actually something really fun. So I'm keen to give this one a look. I'm just kind of surprised it exists. Right. Although, I'm not surprised this one exists. So I'm just going to say it first, right? I'm not the biggest fan of Roland Brights. I know that. There's not many Roland Rights I like, okay? I've already said about games constantly being like, ooh, you know, why is why have we got to have a Roland Right for everything? Like, why does every big game need to have a Roland Right? You know, can't we just leave it as the big game, okay? So we've got that, but I... <laughs> this one, I can see why they might have done a Roland Right, but I... <laughs> Oh, God, this gets the award for the most, what's the, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I use, the most unassuming, uninspiring, generic roll and write that I can think of. And it's also, I would say the cover is partial nightmare fuel. So uh, just going to, for those of you on the video side of things, I will say the name of the game, don't worry, but three, two, one, Joan of Arc, Orleans, draw and write. And how many of you just screamed at the screen about the like the horror that is this cover? This cover is atrocious. <laughs> it's like, it uses the same sort of pretty bad artwork that all the odds had. But this lady is wearing what looks like a castle as clothing because the clothing actually looks like brick walls. But 
oh my god, this looks horrible. <laughs> but look at the rest of the cover. It's literally just a white background, a very faded village in the background. It's the it's the same sort of Orleans like art um like art style. But man, this looks uninspiring. Joan of Arc, Orleans draw and write, as they call it. Not much detail about it. I mean, you you know, you draft tiles. Yeah, you pull tiles out of a bag and you take turns drafting them and taking actions that correspond to those tiles. That's pretty much it. I mean, it doesn't sound like anything amazing, but oh my word. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Orleon, so yes, granted, I'll take that, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I'm not exactly caring about this because it's a roller robot. I just saw that cover and I just couldn't help but laugh because I was thinking, are you serious? If you saw that on a shelf, would you pick it up? Would you grab this off the shelf if you saw a game called Drone, Joan of Arc Draw and Write with that picture? No, as this can't be right. <laughs> I, I thought it was being trolled at first, but I mean, a shorter version of all the ons is not necessarily a bad thing in my perspective. But yeah, if you're into this genre, then oh well, you got another one on the reach, you know. But I'm curious, does anybody who's a fan of is there anybody who's a fan of all the ons? interested in a roll and write version that would be something to know but this one i'm curious about in a good way now i mentioned about the box cover for joan of arc this one just takes the case it's literally just a black cover there's nothing there they haven't actually put a picture there yet it's kind of like a work in progress picture or at least i hope for the love of all things holy that it is because otherwise i'm gonna laugh my head off yeah it's a placeholder image right so okay we'll go with that but this is the targi d bonus box die bonus box so you know the bonus box depending what language you're in this is an expansion for targi targi is a brilliant two-player only game which i have not played in years because it's a two-player only game but it's in my collection it's got the expansion in it and i still hold fire that this is one of the best two-player games that cosmos has put out it's really, really good. Uh, designed by Andreas Steiger. Now, with this one, this is apparently a 10th anniversary of Targi. Blimey, 10 years old. I mean, it just goes to show. Cult of the news, not always a good thing. But they're basically bringing out this bonus box. Now, there's not a lot of content in this game, so I hope they're going to make it cheap. It's basically got wooden tokens to replace the good tiles in the base game. So it's a bit of a, a component upgrade more than anything else. Two modules of some extra edge cards, some new action cards and things like that. So it's like, okay, not the most lucrative amount of content. And you can combine this with the expansion, which is all well and good. But here's the bit that really got my interest here. Rules for a solo mode. Okay, a solo mode for Target. Now, Seven Wonders Duel, love the game, but it is two player only. Asmodee then did the print and play, or repost production, uh, repost production to be more accurate, um, did the print and play uh, solo rules. I have done a playthrough of those rules on the channel. I'm pretty certain at some point I did a playthrough, so have a look on the channel for that. But it is a brilliant implementation of a solo rules for the physical board game of Seven Wonders Door. Yes, you can play it on the app, but I'm talking getting the physical game out with the components and playing against an, an interesting, unique AI system with a card deck. It's a brilliant little thing. Now, Targi, if Targi can introduce a similarly great mode that isn't too complicated, but can simulate a second player to a decent extent, I will be all over this like glue because I will definitely be down for playing some more Targi especially when I don't have to worry about the fact that I can't get a second player at you know at, at moment's notice. So I am definitely curious to see how they're going to do a solo mode for Targi. I mean, it's got to be doable. I can imagine it's going to be an Automna deck, which dictates which edge cards the meeples will go on. And then based on that, you'll do your game and then they'll take certain cards based on what they're after. Hopefully not too complicated. But that's the only way I can see a solo mode working. But I am totally down for this uh well i don't really i don't even care about the rest of the box frankly just give me a print and play of those solo rules and i will be perfectly happy but yeah it's on the way so if you're a targi fan but you always fancy playing it solo because you can't always play it two players uh you could be in with some luck um, i think all of this is 2022 it does say 2022 on the on the cover so you know let's just hope it stays that way okay right i'm gonna take a big swig of my drink Sweet apple and blackcurrant squash, because it is hot. 
<laughs> not quite heat wave temperatures anymore, thank God, but it's still bad. Right, we're going to do a shelf review. So, uh, well, spoiler alert, there's the rating there for some people. But, you know, I'm actually thinking I might increase that rating. So hear me out. This is Diamonds. Diamonds is a trick-taking game done by Stronghold Games. This is a second edition, and this is the copy I have at the moment. Diamonds, well, actually, first up, a bit of background on trick-taking. If you're not familiar with what trick-taking is, it's basically, if you've ever played Trumps or Hearts or anything with a classic deck of cards, it's where you play a particular card, uh, let's say uh, Ace of Diamonds or whatever, and other players then have to follow suit. So they play diamond card, diamond card, diamond card. Whoever plays the highest card in that suit wins the trick. If you haven't got a diamond to hand, like you haven't got the suit that was played, you have to follow suit with something else, but you won't win the trick. Now, very simple, and Trump's was basically that, but one suit dominated other suits. With hearts, it was a case that you scored points, but you didn't want to score points. You were trying to get as low as possible, but you could shoot the moon for something crazy, which almost never happens. I've done it once, <laughs> where you try and win all the tricks so that everybody else suffers except for you. Diamonds plays on that trick-taking aspect. So if that's basically what the, the mechanic is. I really like trick-taking games. Um, I've certainly been more of a resurgence in my liking for them in the last few years, possibly because of my own nostalgia. But even so, I enjoy a trick-taking game. I, I think it's probably because they are being used in much more interesting ways now. I mean, you've got the crew, and you've got Brian Borrow, and uh, even... Well, as much as I hate to say it, Leader Games, you know, um, Ark, which I haven't backed, but I'll try it on retail release, uh, that apparently uses a trick-taking mechanic in that one. And so, yeah, that they're being used in more interesting ways. Diamonds feels like a classic game. So what you do in Diamonds is you basically are playing cards of the different suits, so diamonds, hearts, spades, and everything, but there's up to 15 of each suit, which is a bit more than usual. And... Oops, I don't bring that picture back up. There we go. And so you're just playing these as normal and you play and you follow suit and you try and win the trick. Okay, where's the difference here? The difference is that you are trying to collect these diamonds, these literal diamond little gemstones behind your screen. They're in your safe, essentially. Now, these diamonds will score you points at the end of the game based on whether they're in your vault or in front of your vault. So you can have them stolen off you if they're not in your vault. Now, what happens is you play several rounds. And in each round, you're dealt out all the cards. You are then allowed to pass one, two, or three to a neighbor, depending on the first player. And so you play a normal trick-taking game. So I'll play a three of hearts, and you follow with a heart, heart, heart. But whoever wins the trick gets to perform a special power based on the suit that was used. So with this, uh, so for example, if you play all the hearts, so if you play hearts and you win the heart trick, you get to put a diamond from your showroom into your vault. A diamond suit might allow you to stick a diamond directly into your vault. So there's very simple little rules with how they work, but that's essentially what you do. You play through the whole round, play several tricks, and you're you know manipulating these diamonds and trying to get hold of a bunch of them. The reason this works so well, though, is because it's such an easy teach in person. And I'm not doing the best job of it at the moment, but the idea that you basically just play a normal trick-taking game, but then you have these powers for, you know, a diamond allows you to put it straight into your vault. The heart allows you to put it in your showroom. The spade allows you to put it from your showroom into your vault. The club allows you to steal one from another player. It's, you know, just very simple little powers, but it's more than that. As well as winning them throughout the round, what you do at the very end of the round is you collect up all the cards in front of every player. And whoever has the most cards from a specific suit, you they get to do the action again. And even better is there's a shoot in the moon mechanic that if you don't win any tricks, you get to do two of the diamond uh, actions like, like as a compensation, which can actually be just as good as winning a bunch of uh, heart and spade actions, frankly, because you've got to win multiple of those in order to get the diamonds. It's like, yeah, but putting two behind my screen, you know, if you're not having a good round, you can aim for that and get some decent compensation. It's pretty cool as a mechanic. Now, you know, simple rules, really easy to play. Uh, definitely works with anybody who's played a trick-taking game before in their lives. Uh, this is like the first edition version of the game. Uh, second edition, I think, tweaks some rules or just improve the 
uh, graphic design a little bit. So, you know, this format is a lot better. So why don't we just blow up that picture and leave it there for a bit. Um, oop. Things are not wanting to play ball with me at the moment in terms of my laptop. There we go. But what I like about this game is not only those special powers are really sweet, but it's simple and you can tailor the length of this game to how much you like. The game says go on for six rounds. Do not do that ever. It takes too long. It can go up to six players. With too many players, it's a little bit chaotic. I quite like this with three or four players. I think that works best. But I would say stick to four rounds max. Three rounds is decent. Four rounds is probably ample. Five and six, you're just going through the motions again. It's unnecessary. So you can get this done in a decent amount of time, say an hour tops, three quarters of an hour tops, if you just tailor the rounds of it. If you play this with a lot of players and play six rounds, you will not be done in an hour. It's not going to happen. But yeah, the, the game was dirt cheap. I bought it at Essen of all places for 10 euro. That's pretty good. Now, that must have been on some kind of sale. But even so, it's not that expensive to buy this game. And it just feels like a classic trick-taking game. You know, if someone has played only trumps or hearts and they're like, oh, but I don't want to get into anything too complicated. This is basically what they've been playing for life with just a couple of extra special powers thrown in. That's literally it. It's just a very cool, simple game. And, you know, I think it kind of sparked my resurgence of getting back into some of these trick-taking games. You know, this is definitely a much more classic, normal style of trick-taking game as compared to something like The Crew or Brian Burrow, as I mentioned, which are a lot more, um, like, a lot more sort of involved. But then also it's different from games like Niet or what was it called? The Goblin King or Dwarf King that Bruno Ferduti did. I haven't actually played that one, but it was basically chaotic powers. Uh, but there's other trick takings I've gone for. Uh, in fact, Tournament at Camelot is on my shelf downstairs. I've yet to play it, but that seems pretty cool. The idea that you're playing a trick taking game to like survive a combat duel. And it's like, okay, interesting. So you lose life based on the trick, special powers. It's like, hmm, I'm interested to try that one at some point. So yeah, Diamonds has just been a pretty solid hit. I've rated it a 7 out of 10. Uh, now, I'm tempted to raise that to an 8 because I do enjoy this game quite a bit, but I don't always bring it out. So 7, 8, I'm curious where... Oh, hold up. I mean, it is definitely one of my favorite games uh, in that respect because it does do a lot of... E I mean, yes, I'd rather play The Crew, you know, or maybe some more, like, intricate trick-taking game like fox in the forest is another one but certainly i think there's i don't know i'm gonna leave it at seven for now seven or eight but this definitely gets a seal of endorsement uh from me i think it's solid anybody who's into the genre or if you just want a simple card game that you would be able to teach to non-gamers i think this is a pretty decent one to go so diamonds off the shelf on you know so off the shelf review of diamonds which remains on my shelf uh from since the day i bought it actually Right. Okay. Right. Let's talk about the discussion topic now while I've still got a voice. So I was trying to debate what to talk about this time. I need to do a, a another Patreon post to ask people for Q&As. In fact, yeah, on the subject of that, I can't, I haven't got the time to do like lots of advanced videos and like Patreon only stuff. You know, Paul Grogan's got a bit more time in his hands for that. But what I tend to do is I tend to get people involved. So, you know, if you're on a lower tier, you get to ask questions for me to do on Q&As uh, at your leisure. You don't have to wait for me to prompt you. Uh, I also ask for podcast discussion topics. Again, you don't have to wait for prompting. I, you know, you can just message, you can start a message or you can respond to one of my posts when I call up. I need to set another one of those up actually. And if you're on a higher tier, you actually get to vote and suggest ideas for top 10 lists, both collaborations and otherwise. So, you know, you basically get, you, you get involved in what I put out content wise. And if this new idea of mine takes off, then well, well, we'll add that as a uh, part of the tier that you can advise me on what game you would like to see on those ones. That'd be pretty sweet. But let's tackle this discussion topic, which actually I'm borrowing from Gaming Rules uh, like forum. So Gaming Rules has a uh, a BGG forum, Board Game Geek forum. Um, I definitely recommend people sort of sign up to that because there's some cool little discussion topics that are in there. He also puts uh, stuff out that's for discussion on the videos and uh, ideas. And so 
there's a general question that came up in here uh, from Miss Monica here. Uh, has a rule book or a game in total ever defeated you so that you don't play the game? Now, that's I'm not sure that's the best wording, but basically what this is getting at is has a rule book ever destroyed your appreciation of a game like can you think oh the game's got some great components it's got some great mechanics it's got everything but then you're slightly defeated because the rule book you hear is pretty bad or like yeah or when you get for the rule book the fact that it's such a chore to learn uh, maybe a chore to teach and that becomes a killer for the game I have to say this is actually more prominent than you think because for me that actually is a big deal especially with these big games like for example over there on the corner of the table I have Carnival Zombie the second edition now this is a pretty big box game about tower defense from zombies I've never played the first edition I have no idea how the game plays apart from like what mechanics are in it I've the rule books I'm looking at them and I'm thinking uh, there's a lot to absorb here Am I going to have the time and effort to like get through this rule book? And I mention rule books on every review I do because, you know, I think it's important. A lot of people who review games actually don't talk about the rule book, which shocks me to like no end because I get that it's subjective. You know, people are going to absorb rules in different ways. They learn games by different ways. And some people understand complex rules more than others. But I think you still need your personal opinion on the rule books in a review. Because at the end of the day, like, practice what I preach. A rule book can destroy an experience for me, particularly if it involves a lot of effort. So, I mean, taking some heavy games recently, I mean, they're going to have the most thickest rule books, but you expect that for a heavy game. But it can still go a little bit far. So, you know, one game in particular, uh, Defense at Procyon 3, I believe it was. Yeah, Defense at Procyon 3. I review. I gave it a sort of like, first impressions review back in uh, yes it back in january and one of the biggest problems i had with it was that it was basically like it had five rule books in it five rule books one for each race one solo and i think there was one other i can't remember but is that maybe there was a sixth but there were certainly at least five rule books i can't handle that i'm sorry i just can't it was too much Asking people to have to read an entire rule book to themselves and then try and understand them all yourself. It just took this one way out of my comfort zone. But then uh, recently uh, on the Perseverance review, I made a big deal about the rules being complicated in that one. And certainly more people have agreed than disagreed. Certainly the big fans have come out uh, in their, you know, to say their negative uh, comments on that subject. But, you know, Perseverance has a rule book for each game plus a solo rulebook, plus a Chronicles rulebook. And they're very long rulebooks with a lot of rules in them. It became a bit of a chore to learn this game and get it played to the extent where it was worthy for a review, to the point where I wish I didn't even have to, well, I didn't have to review it. I paid it out of my own cash. But a lot of people wanted to know if this two-episode thing worked, you know. So I thought, all right, let's do a review. Man, it was a lot of effort for it. And it got to the point where I said, look, you know what? I don't want this game anymore because I can't deal with this amount of rules all the time. And it's not just a case of, you know, oh, the rules are complex because I've got games on my shelf where the rules are complex. You know, I mean, come on. Do you think any of the Lacerda games behind me have simple rules? There's plenty enough to do. But there's a couple of other factors to consider. Firstly, how much are you going to remember these rules? So when I learn a heavy game like Ark Nova, for example, or even Spirit Island to an extent, I remember most of the rules from a game to a game because they are either intuitive or they thematically make sense. And so in Ark Nova, a lot of the rules I explain tend to relate to the theme. And theme is a big draw for me in games because it makes teaching the game easier. Perseverance has a really cool setting. I wouldn't say it has the easiest theme to teach with the rules, though. Uh, you know, Tracarion that I played recently, that's another thing. Because, yes, it's got a really cool thematic setting, but it's not like you can teach the rules to it easily, particularly when you're starting to deal with things like trick links and the performance cards and the fact that the tricks don't actually mean anything. It's just the title and what yield they give you. It's like, you know, it, you struggle to get past that. But then I can play a game of Caverna and Fields of Isle and teach you most of it by thematic inclusions. 
I made a big deal about Preda Porter on my shelf behind me. You could explain most of Preda Porter by theme alone. It's that good. And even the Lacerders behind me, you know, the Kanban and the Gallerist and Lisboa. Uh, well, maybe, well, maybe not Lisboa to an extent, but Vinyos maybe. Viticulture. All of these games have solid themes that make teaching the heavy complex rules a lot simpler. And it makes a big difference. So with that said, Carnival Zombie might work. I need to tackle the rules to it. But yeah, big, heavy games, they are they can be problematic with the rule books. And I'm getting into this mindset where like life's too short, time is precious, and I can't be dealing with these ridiculously overcomplicated rule books in plentiful quantities just for a single game. I got enough games I need to get played and reviewed without having to devote my life to this one game. It just doesn't work in that respect. Now, in those circumstances, it's not that the game is terrible or the rulebook is terrible, because I don't think the Perseverance rulebook is bad. I don't think that a lot of these other heavy game rulebooks are bad, but there's a lot of stuff in there. But if you do have a game, for example, that has a terrible rulebook, like one that you just will not go near because it's written so poorly, then yeah, I probably won't even go near your game, period. And who can forget the most infamous of this, Batman City Chronicles? I think this is the one. Yep, the... Uh, the monolith game which you know was essentially adapting their conan game and you know theme wise i should be on this like glue it's batman it's awesome a miniatures game of batman going up against uh like enemies and yeah and, and doing like a skirmish game it should be great it also has one of the worst rule books in human existence and given that the conan rule book was already like horrific in terms of its rule, but you'd think it would be some clue to them that they needed to sort this out. But no, their rule books were so bad that I could not legitimately play the game right each time. And I thought, well, I am not going to teach this where the rule book is so confusing I can't refer back to it again. So I'm done, you know, not going to play them. Now, I hear Paul Grogan's doing work on possibly the uh, Batman rulebook, so that will be amazing if that's the case, because then finally you might actually be able to play the wretched game. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it makes a difference to have your rulebooks correct. And so publishers really need to start paying more attention to this kind of thing. I don't get how these horrible rulebooks get past quality control. You should make that the forefront of anything you are planning for in your playtesting. Give it a blind playtest to a different people who don't know you, who don't know the game. Try and get them to learn it. And if they can't learn the game from your rulebook, then perhaps maybe hire an editor. You know, it's not a big, like, surprising revelation here to be able to hire a rules editor. More publishers need to do this, and it works wonders for your game, okay? Rulebooks you know, people can forgive a bad component. People can forgive a quirky mechanic they don't like. People cannot forgive bad rule books. They will just destroy your game if they are written poorly. Now, with a lot of other rule books, I mean, the style of rule book makes a difference for me. And certainly, when I get a new game to review, or certainly when I get a new game to play, I look at the rule book, and depending how it's laid out, that's going to have an impact as well because. I'll be like, okay, so this looks pretty good. It's laid out nicely. The font's big. Uh, there's not a huge amount of pages. Great. Uh, mainly, I'm looking for pictorial examples. So I certainly do not like when uh, rule books are just a wall of text because that gets on my nerves because I feel like I'm just reading a technical manual. But if I can see that there's a lot of pictures explaining everything, I'm good. And I mean, I... You know, I gave Wonderland's War a 7 out of 10, okay? I think it's overrated, but I still gave it props for what it did good. And the rulebook was one of them. The rulebook in Wonderland's War was very good. It had probably went a bit over the top in terms of pictorial representation in places, but I could see exactly what it was referring to, and I didn't have any problems playing the game at that point. Brilliant. If you've got app integration, even better. I mean, you know, I'm playing Journeys to Middle-Earth. I haven't played it in a while, so I thought, ooh, I'm going to have to read a bunch of rule books. And oh, as I read them down here, I've got uh, you know the rules reference and uh, spreading war here. So you know, expansions don't have that bigger rule book for these, so that's an easy one to include. In fact, most of it's just rinse repeat. 
But there are some things that I've forgotten since the last time I played it. So, you know, I forgot, oh, what does that keyword exactly mean? Or is it right? Oh, what what's the exact definition of resetting a skill deck? You know, and then other little bits like, oh, does this happen at that point? You know, and these rule references are great for me to find that because I can find the rule and just get on with the game. I don't have to read the entire rule book to learn it. But all I pretty much did was I got the stuff out and followed the app. The app gets you into it and so something like mansions of madness and XCOM, for example that take you through the game and handle a lot of the admin and bookkeeping make a wonderful difference you know if i hear that it's something like mansions of madness where there's app integration it's instantly gonna like perk up my spirits for your game because i know that the app is going to handle a lot of the rules problems and make it a lot easier to learn now, of course, you could have a bad app as well, or something that doesn't really help with the rules, and that is a potential factor. But there's not many occasions where I've had that issue, it must be said. I mentioned briefly earlier that, you know, your ability to teach a game is going to be influenced by this. So it's all right saying, oh, well, it's not the most complex of rule books, or even if it is a complex rule book. How easy is it to teach the rules, though? I honestly don't have that much trouble teaching Art Nova. Yeah, there's a fair amount to get across, but because I can use theme to describe a lot of stuff that happens in it, and because a lot of the rules are fairly intuitive, it's it works wonders for being able to teach it. Because Art Nova is a heavy game, but it's not heavy because there's 50 million rules. It's heavy because the stuff you are doing in the game requires thought. Whereas, as I mentioned Perseverance earlier, yeah, the stuff you're doing in the game is heavy, although I'd argue actually that it's only mid-weight in some respects. I don't know, it's still technically heavy, I guess. But there's a lot of rules, a lot of different things going on, a lot of little interactions, like if this happens, do this, if this happens, do this. That makes it an absolute chore to teach because there's the, there's the question of time span between games. Who's playing Perseverance every single day at the moment? I would envy them for how much time they have on their hands. That would be insane. But, you know, if I put down Perseverance after playing it once, it could be months before I play it again because it's so long and involved, you know, compared to getting everything else out. And so how am I going to remember all those rules? I'm going to have to relearn them all over again. They won't stick in my head. But there's a bunch of games on my shelf here where even though I haven't played it for a while, I wouldn't need to learn that many rules again because they they stick. They're not so fiddly. They work with the theme. They're more intuitive. Uh, the Ryan Lockett games. I haven't played Empires of the Void in a while. I guarantee you, though, when I get it out again, I might have to skim the rule book once briefly to check on a couple of things. But I could pretty much teach Empires of the Void 2 right now, if that was the case. Obviously, a simple two-player game, a simple filler, and that requires nothing to teach. I mean, Splendor, obviously, is not going to be a problem. Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Architects. Uh... I think Baron Park, Alice's Garden, you know, small games have small rule books, therefore they're always a good thing. I mean, if you if you overcomplicate a small game, you've kind of failed, really, because that's not what it should be. But but then there's you know some rule books for smallish games that I'm not the biggest fan of. Uh, Imperium, I've got downstairs. I, I still love the game. I think it's an excellent solo deck building game for me. I don't like to play it with other players because it's too long. But the rulebook in that from Osprey Games is not particularly great, is it? Uh, it could use a rules rewrite, you know, not just in the look, you know, with more pictorial examples, but just to make it more clearer. And so that does put me off bringing Imperium out. I still think the game's great, and I want to play Imperium. But I know there's going to be that learning curve. I'm going to have to j jump into that hurdle. Robinson Crusoe's another one. Um, a lot of people say that they put Robinson Crusoe down and then don't pick it up again because it's a bit of a bugbear to learn and teach again. The new version coming out with the tutorial could really solve that problem, but it's a factor. It It's something that people care about. So, you know, my voice is starting to go a little bit, so I think I might wrap things up there a little bit earlier than usual, but just that's basically what I'm saying. The question of can a bad rule book or complex rule book kill your enjoyment of a game? I think the answer is wholeheartedly yes. You know, people don't want to have to put that much effort to learning the game constantly over and over again because publishers should be making these games accessible to as many people as possible and they should be getting their rule books right. They should be proofread, they should be blind play tested, they should be edited by a proper rules editor for language and everything. They should really be putting more effort into the rule book than how fancy your miniature looks or whether you've made something out of bake light or 
you know, plastic, acrylic or whatever. It's like, get your rule books done right first, because that's the bit I am definitely going to be commenting on in all my reviews. And it's definitely going to be one of those things where it gets marked heavily because, you know, your game can be the most beautiful, most fun thing in the world. But if your game is a chore to learn and a chore to play, you have killed my enjoyment hands down. So yeah, be interested to know your thoughts. Do rule books kill the experience for you? What's your example of the worst rule book you found? I mean, I people have asked me this. They said like, you know, top 10 worst rule books. I wouldn't be able to remember top 10 worst rule books for me. And as I say, it's very subjective as to whether a rule book is that bad for you. So I don't think that would work as a list. But I've, you know, I've mentioned a couple there. Um, you know, Batman is obviously one of the worst rule books I've ever seen. I don't tend to get along with the rule books for something like Keyflower and those key games, Richard Brees, because those rule books tend to be a little bit on the uh, text heavy. I really didn't like the rule book for Botoku. Uh, Botoku, I thought, was just laid out in a weird way with sidebars that contained specific rules you needed to know. Uh, Stroganoff had a weird rule in it that meant that you, you know, it was hidden off the side in a, a note box but it was quintessential to the game. Imperium's got a pretty terrible rule book. So there's a lot of examples of bad rule books, but I wouldn't be able to do a list of them. But I'd be curious, what's the worst rule book you've come across? And I don't want to know the best rule book because hopefully all games should have the best rule book. But what's the worst uh, one you've come across? Let me know in the comments. So that's it for me. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple video or podcast. Uh, remember, check out all the video content I'm releasing this week. If you can, please subscribe to the Patreon. Failing that, come and watch the top 10 live stream with me and solo playthroughs, uh, Greg, on Tuesday evening, GMT, 7 p.m., because that's, I think, it's going to be a fun list. I need to actually get around to drafting that list somewhat pronto. But that's going to be pretty cool. And of course, I'll see what happens with regards to that C stand. And if I can get it working, I'm certainly going to need to think of a decent camcorder for it. And also the idea of that new, if you like GameX, you're like this type segment, you know, so there's a lot of stuff on my mind. All I got to do is just try not to be too deterred or bummed out by, you know, corporate board game industry stuff and popularity and you know where the more you talk positive about something the more publishers will be behind your back i mean you know i've seen i've seen some major stuff lately of like you know publishers like share content out because they're going oh they love this so much thank you thank you thank you yeah i bet you wouldn't be sharing it if it was an average review would you i bet you would not be sharing it if it had cons in it of course they wouldn't because it's bad for business but that's the way it is. My channel is very consumer focused. It's not corporate focused. It's going to hurt me in some respects. And I need to try and not let it get to me and just continue doing what I do, which is enjoying talking about board games and focus more on the small creators front, as well as, as I said, being more consumer focused at the end of the day, because somebody's got to. So I'll see you on the next Broken People video. If you like what you see, please consider thumbing up the video, subscribing to the Patreon if you can, or subscribing to the channel. And remember, comment on what your worst rule book you have found is. Until next time, you can check out more content on the channel, including the recent review I did for Perseverance. Go check out that mega review. But you can also check out the top 10 six player games I did with Mark Monk from Nietzsche Ninja Geek Games from the last collaboration I did. Hashtag support small creators. Take care. And remember, as always, everyone, it's only a game. Bye for now. Love you all.